From Women, Food, and Agriculture Network, I'm Ash Bruxford, and this is the Plate to Politics podcast. Plate to Politics is WFAN's nationwide effort to support and strengthen the leadership role of women transforming our food system, from the federal agriculture policy agenda to what's on our family's dinner plate. This podcast provides audio leadership training to women engaged in healthy food and farming. You can download the resources mentioned in this podcast at wfan.org slash plate to politics. On this episode of Plate to Politics, we have Vanessa Hall Harper, who serves on city council in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Vanessa got a lot of media attention in 2018 because she advocated for and successfully passed restrictions on dollar stores uh, opening in the city of Tulsa and representing her District 1 community was really concerned about the proliferation of these types of stores and the unbalanced development that was happening. So we're going to talk a little bit about that on this episode, in addition to her role serving on city council and um, her experiences advocating on food justice and racial equity issues from a city council position. So my first question is, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the position that you're serving in and the community that you're serving in? Okay, I'm serving uh, as city councilor. Uh, my district number is one. Um, it is primarily uh, the north uh, side of town or Tulsa. Uh, I would say the, the majority of, I have, a, I have a diverse community, but the majority probably, certainly North Tulsa is known as the African-American community. Um, let's see. The, I, I, I ran in 2014. Uh, we, we elected every two years. I, I first ran in 2014 and lost my first uh, try, and then I won in 2016. And so I'm serving uh, my third year currently. I won, I, uh, won in 2016, ran again in 2018, and, and won. And so I'm in my second term, uh, first year of my second term. You ran and lost in 2014 were you asked to run for office or what inspired you to run for city council no i was never asked i can't say that i ever had intentions of holding public office one day that 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 was never my um dream or anything like that Uh, i would say um about in 2011 2012 um i believe uh, the lord placed it upon my heart to run for office Uh, i tried to avoid it as long as I could, I said, you know, I'm gonna go back to school and get my master's degree. And, you know, I felt like I needed to do other things before, you know, in preparation or whatever. So I did that, went back and got my master's in management, um, you know, with the intent or, or certainly the focus to try to best prepare myself in the role. I mean, certainly knowing and understand government and how it works, uh, but wanting some, you know, some additional experience. Um, or at least knowledge. I've, I've been in public service my entire professional career. I've worked for local government um, for over 20 years, uh, working for the Tulsa County Juvenile Bureau uh, for the first six years out of college. And then I've been with the Tulsa County Health Department 
for the last 18 plus years. Um, and so certainly knowing and understanding local government and how it works, I uh, decided to go ahead and run for city council um, because I just felt like we needed um, better representation. You know, sitting back and watching things play out the way they had for, uh, for the last 15 so years, knowing and understanding that things could could be done better. Um, I just felt that, you know, I, I had the, the knowledge, of course, and the passion to do a better job. And so I stuck my hat in the ring. I knew it was going to be difficult to win. I, I uh, was going against uh, a, a person that had served in city council for 12 years. So knowing and understanding how difficult it is to unseat an incumbent. Um, I ran the first time, um, got my name out there, continued to work in the community after losing my first election. Uh, and then, you know, 2016, I guess it was time because I won, um, and I've been serving ever since. Can you talk about, can you talk more about winning and losing and what that experience was like and what you learned from that to run a successful campaign? Well, I think, um, the first time we have nonpartisan elections. Uh, at the local level here in Tulsa. And and the first time I ran in 2014, I literally only had like a month and a half because uh, the, there are primaries. Mm -hmm. And if you, and there were three people that, were, that, that ran in 2014 or at least had their name on the ballot. And the one gentleman that did, he wasn't even in the country. I mean, he just put his name on the ballot because the, 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 the previous, uh, incumbent um, that I ran against ultimately and beat. Um, no, he, he rarely had anyone running against him or if he did have opponents, you know, they didn't have very a very good opportunity or chance at winning. You know, it was just people just throwing their name on the ballot. And so um, after, uh, and of course he didn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was. And so um, what that did is since there were three candidates, um, we had uh, a primary and the way our rules work here in Tulsa at the local level anyway is if any candidate uh, receives 50% plus one of the total number of votes then at the primary level or stage they, they win the election outright and so that's how he was able to win and, I, and so I only had like a month maybe a month and a half to, to actually campaign in that 2014 election. In 2016, uh, no one else ran. Uh, it was just myself and, and, and the incumbent at that time on the ballot. And so I had a full election cycle. Um, and I think the work that I did in the community in the interim between 2014 and 2016 when I lost, I mean, when I lost the first time, um, and then a full campaign cycle for 2016 when I ran the second time. Uh, I think that is what probably made the difference. Uh, I worked um, in the community uh, on some, very, in some, some important projects for one, which I think was probably the most impactful was the creation of the African-American Affairs Commission um, within the city. Uh, in our city government, there are 
commissions that are commissioned by the city uh, and who serve as um, as an as a as a representative of a of a community in particular that um, to address issues and to have that line of communication on specific issues that a that a, a certain demographic uh, uh, brings up to a city government. So, for example, we've had we had uh, and still do to this day a, a Hispanic Affairs Commission, right? And that commission had been in existence for over 40 years. Uh, we have a Native American Affairs Commission. All these commissions are commissions within the city of Tulsa's infrastructure. They have been in existence over 35 years. Uh, we had a Status of Women Commission. Um, that organ that commission had been in existence almost 40 years. Um, we had a Human Rights Commission um, almost 50 years. And so we had all these commissions, but we never had an African American Affairs Commission. Uh, and that's not to say that the community hadn't requested one. Uh, it just wasn't, it was just never done. It, it never uh, was created uh, under the, the previous administrations for any number of reasons. Um, and so uh, I worked on that. I worked with the community. It was a grassroots effort. Um, and the incumbent, uh, for whatever reason, uh, because I was I was the lead in requesting that commission be created, um, he fought against it, and I think that was that's that's what turned the tide. I, I think to a large degree, there were other things that we were working on in the community as well, but I think that's the one that kind of kind of uh, broke the camel the straw that broke the camel's back, and that the community was like, how 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 can you not Oh, how can you justify saying we don't need this commission when you have all these other commissions that have been in existence for decades and you see the impact that they've had on their communities, their respective communities as it relates to local government, particularly the particularly city government. And there was just not a good answer for that. But again, I think his ego got the best of him in in that he, he fought against it just because I I led that effort in. Awesome. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your work specifically on food insecurity? Sure. Um, well, I I come from, as I mentioned before, I've been with a health department for over 20 years, some 20, almost 20 years, not over, but almost 20 years. Um, and I manage a program called the Healthy Living Program. Uh, it's a program that originally started out as a tobacco prevention and cessation program, but about six years ago, uh, the, the grant, um, the grant awards uh, expanded the program to include overall healthy living. So it's now the, the, healthy, the HLP healthy living program that includes uh, healthy food exercise as well as tobacco prevention and cessation. And so, um, Living in in my district in particular, that that is and has been a a food desert for for many years. Um, needless to say, that food security was was at the top of my uh, campaign platform um, when I ran both times in 2014 and 2016. And so that was one of the one one of and still is to this day. Um, one of the number one concerns when you ask constituents uh, what is their what are, what are their number one concerns, what are their greatest concerns in the community, and and one is that 
what I hear overwhelmingly is that we we don't have a grocery store. We don't have a quality grocery store in our district. Uh, we have to travel outside of our our district, outside of our community, uh, in order to to have access to healthy food uh, options. And so, um, you know, coming from uh, a health background, uh, professionally, uh, obviously that is something that um, very passionate about, uh, both professionally as well as uh, community related. And so, um, when I won in 2016, I worked, I reached out to some community partners, in particular TEDC, which is the Tulsa Economic Development Corporation, um, and and asked for uh, the executive director, whose name is Rose Washington, asked for her assistance. And, and getting uh, a, a quality grocery store in my district. And so we got to work. She applied for a grant, um, which her organization can do. You can look up TEDC on the internet and, and find out, you know, it gives a good description of, of the service they provide. Um, and she was able to apply for a grant she, that, that she called the OASIS grant uh, that in, that that included funds through HUD uh, to build um, land that they already, in fact, own. TEDC had uh, in, in order to use those funds to build uh, a grocery store that we believe would would run and be successful in the community. Um, you know, I learned through all of this uh, the grocery industry um, is not an easy is not an easy um, industry in which to be successful it, you you do have to have that right uh formula uh recipe if you will for for running a a, a successful grocery store you know the with the walmart effect uh that has taken place throughout this country uh, and throughout the world for that matter um it, it has it has had an impact even in uh communities that that are affluent that that don't have the added um, issues of low income and and you know uh, poor jobs or or jobs that don't pay for wages you know so, and all those other determinants of health that that impact the community um, and so uh, she was uh, Rose Washington uh, and I was able to you know to reach out to some individuals that that. Um, that were willing to take a chance, but to actually uh, try a formula of, uh, of a store, which you know, the, the, which which is the right size, not too big, which makes it you know more difficult because of overhead and so forth uh, to be successful. Um, we were able to to get some operators that that's willing to to um, to open up a store in the community. So we hope be able to break ground on that the plan is to, to have to break ground this late this summer later on this summer uh, so we're excited about that so um, but I, one of the things that I, I felt it was necessary to do was to try to help ensure the success of any grocer uh, that 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 chose to to make that um, commitment and investment in the community uh, by by limiting the proliferation of the discount dollar stores 
who which do not offer full service quality groceries. Uh, they don't offer the food and fresh fruits and vegetables. They don't offer the fresh meats and different things uh, that are needed to to uh, maintain a healthy diet. I want to go back a little bit to campaigning. Can you tell me, did you have a campaign manager or what did your campaign team look like when you were running? I did. Um, I had I had a campaign manager both times I ran. Um, I think it was uh, a little easier uh, the second time, and not only because I had more time, but I didn't change my campaign platform at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it still, it still was based on basically five areas: food security being uh, the top issue, um, and so given the fact that you know none of that changed. Uh, it was just a matter of picking up uh, from where we left off uh, and and continuing to you know campaign with on those on those platform um, areas. Uh, it I think it went uh, went a lot smoother. In addition to the fact that um, I had you know continued to work, I, I believe campaigning is not done. <laughs> Uh, your significant campaigning is not done from the time, from the day you you file for office until election time. Uh, for me, campaigning is is every day. Um, and so when you when you've proven yourself uh, the rest of the time of the year or years, uh, then that that's when campaign for one. Um, I did get out and and was able to do a lot more canvassing, knocking on doors. I also believe that campaigns are won on porches, uh, not on, you know, not in campaign materials and and so forth. Uh, I did not have, certainly did not have the finances that my opponent had either, even when I was running for the incumbent uh, in 2014 uh, or in 2016. or in 2018, for that matter, uh, this last time there was a lot of funding that was local funding that was um, given to my opponents that I did not have, and so again, I think the work that um, that that I was able to accomplish is what made the difference, uh, and not and not the financing. I I don't take money from political action committees. Um, because, you know, they, political action committees expect something. It's just that simple uh, if they support you. So uh, I didn't take money from the fraternal, FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police. I didn't take money from the um, the BISPAT, which is the, the business uh, a retail industry. Um, our regional chamber has a political action committee, and they call it the BISPAT. So, um, so those things were were unique, I think, um, and I see this nationally, but certainly on a local level, campaigning has and and elections and and just leadership, electable leadership, is changing in this community. I'm not going to say that I was the one that changed it, blah blah blah. Um, I think I think I, I've seen that change in not only uh, local elections, but also in in, in some of our state elections. Uh, state elections as well. 
but um you know just kind of changing the game if you will um and not not doing things uh the same way that camp as campaign wise uh that have been done historically uh and that is depending on uh, depending upon um political action or PAC money depending on PAC money um to me that does not in doing so you that's not being a voice for the people mm-hmm. uh if you are bound by uh, or or in a put your you put your, yourself in a place where you have to be uh bound by these organizations because clearly their their goal is to is to promote whatever their industry is and and to me that's not uh being representative of the people which is who we're here to serve not institutions or, or uh and organizations so uh that that is something that's new uh and again in Tulsa in Tulsa uh and and that was something you know I try to teach as much as I can I do teach part time at the local uh our local uh community college of federal government um and again politics being something that I've just always been you know had a liking and been akin to uh and explaining that I, I it when we worked on issues in the community uh, I'd always say look guys you have to understand that this is how government works these are the things that are done you know and I explained about these political action committees and what they are and how they set up and 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 the influence they have on on elected officials, even at the local level, you know, you hear about that stuff at the federal level, but it happens at the state and even the local level as well. And so, and I would say, so the questions you need to ask uh, candidates are, who do they take funds? Who do they take money from? And and that's information that you can find out, you know, you can go and, and request this information, it's public record, and then you will see and understand a little bit better why they vote the way they do even though it may not be what's in the best interest of the community, you know, and so that has changed. And so even in this last election of 2018, those were the questions that people were asking. <laughs> and so we would be, we would participate in debates and, and they would, first question, I want everybody to raise their hand that has taken political action committee money, you know, and everybody on the dais, you know, you better raise your hand because you can't lie because that information is readily available. It's public record. And so, um, and, and I think that has changed. So engaging the community, informing, giving them information that can give them the power, provide them with the power to, to act um, mm-hmm. and to make their decisions based on that information and not just on, you know, if you know someone, if you go to church with them, if your classmates, if you're in the same sororities and fraternities, you know, some of those things that uh, I know I was hearing a lot of when I was knocking on the door, my first year, knocking on doors and talking to people uh, my first year of campaigning. So what were some of the things that people would say to you when you were at the door? What was your experience door knocking like? Well, you know, I went to church with them or I'm a classmate, we graduated together and blah, blah, blah. And my question will be, but what what has he done to improve the quality of life in the community? And oftentimes they could not answer that question. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, well, these are the things that I plan to do, or these are the things that I'm currently working on. 
because, again, I continue to work. And I think that's where a lot of people make a mistake is when they lose an election, they disappear. And that's certainly what I, what, what, what I think uh, my opponent and, and, and others in the community thought that I would do, that I would run away and hide. Uh, but I didn't. I was out the very next day uh, at community meetings and, and, and continuing to work and saying, hey, guys, we need to work on this because this, go- this is going to be able to accomplish this goal if we do this. And, and, and just grassroots engaging and, and trying to, to educate and raise awareness in areas that I had some area of expertise in uh, in such a way that would improve quality of life. And so I think, again, people saw that um, and they said, you know what, we need to, we need to give this young lady a try. Mm -hmm. I'm 47. I'll be 48 this year. Back then I was, you know, 45. I'm, I'm you know, middle-aged woman, but um, I look, I guess I looked a lot younger than what, (laughs) well, I I don't guess. I know that I looked a lot younger than what people thought. And and so um, in my community, as in, in our communities around the country, we know who, who the regular voters are, right? They are the middle and, and, and older voters. And so they, they look for someone with, with experience. And so, I mean, I would literally be in, in, in meetings or presentations or debates. Um, and they would, they, the, the older population, they wouldn't ask me questions about my campaign or my platform, but that they wanted to know, was I married? <laughs> <laughs> Did I have children? You know, they were asking those types of questions. And then when when I guess I met their standards as it relates to those questions, yes, I'm married. Been married 20 years. I have a, you know, back then, my daughter's 17 now, but back then I was like, I have a 15-year-old daughter. She, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it seems that that uh, on more than one occasion that, and even when I'm knocking on doors, that those were the questions that people were asking. So I'm like, okay, they want they want to know that their elected officials are have some stability and some experience. Um, and and whether we like it or not, stability is associated with with marriage and a family. And so, um, and that that was interesting to me. They was like, "Oh, I thought you was a little girl." You know, I was <laughs> no, ma'am. <laughs> and then they sort of asked, "Well, who are your parents? You know, are you from here?" And I, I would ask no answer those questions and you know, sometimes, oh, I know your family and all of that. But, you know, it, it it's interesting, you know, the things that are important to, to, to some people, you know. Um, and I guess that's the benefit of, you know, all the surveys and all the different stuff that, that that's done uh in campaigning. But again, with my experience, I think um it was a combination of the face to face contact. Um but then just having some some successes that the community can look to to say she's to see someone out there. I think what they said to me or said about me is she was out there, she was working, she was she was she was present, visibly present, and she was doing something. And that's something that that in the city council position anyway, had been lacking for a long time. I love your focus on community organizing, and I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about in your time serving on city council, how has engaging your community been a focus for you, and how have you seen that shift and change throughout your time serving on city council in Tulsa? 
for a long time. You just didn't see uh, the uh, my predecessor. He he got very comfortable in his position. Uh, he stopped answering to the people and and went as far to say that he did not have to answer. He would say things like, "I was elected to do what I feel is best," and I would counter. No, that's not how <laughs> that's not how local governance is supposed to work. You are supposed to maintain an open line of communication with your constituents on any on, on any number of issues that that the community faces, so that you can then represent them based on what those issues are. And you can't do that if you're not present, if you don't engage the community, if you're not having town hall meetings. And and so I was literally having meetings and pulling people together in the community to work on issues. And so forth. Um, when I when I was elected, when I won, I started calling them town hall meetings. But before I was elected, I just called them community meetings, you know, so that we can engage. And and so I just I I saw myself as as someone that gave and continued today to give the people the information they need to be active, to 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 make their demands and so forth. And then I then carried those demands uh, as the elected official. To, to the places that they need uh, to be heard um, because you can't do it apart. And I think that the community now is so engaged. I mean, they, there are groups that's doing things that I'm, I'm not even involved in, but you just didn't have that before because I think the community had been trained, almost trained in such a way for such a long time that if you didn't, that, that everything had to be done by, led by, facilitated by the elected official. And I told him, no, that's not how it works. You can do it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, with the African American Affairs Commission, um, that's a commission of some 20 plus individuals that, that, that are in the community. They don't need my help and support in saying this is an issue uh, and we're going to bring this issue to to the city government, to the mayor, to whomever, to to have this issue addressed. That I that I and I don't have to be the head up. I'm there, of course, uh, and I'm with them and I'm supporting them. But I'm not the leader. Uh, they even asked me if I wanted to be on the commission because I could have, based on our our rules. Uh, we had a city councilor in times past. There was precedent set that you can still serve on. The, the these commissions, even though you're an elected official, there was an elected official that was on the on a, on the Hispanic Affairs Commission, who won city council, and she did not have to, uh, you know, give, give up that seat, and she didn't. She served on the commission as well. When we created this commission, because it was brand new, you know, I, they had asked me if I wanted to serve on the commission and if I wanted to chair that commission. I said, No, I do not. <laughs> Why do I need to do that? <laughs> there are plenty of people in the community that are that are able uh, in order to do that. I, I don't want a system in this community where it's solely wrapped up in one individual. Uh, that's how it was before. And then you wonder why only uh, limited um, things can be addressed or limited issues. And that one person can't do it all. It, it's impossible. And so you share um, that that those opportunities, you share that influence and you share that power. And you now I do go make it a, a point as people are being appointed and, and being, to make sure that they are they're qualified, that they're engaged, that they have some level of expertise in these commissions and these boards and these authorities 
that make up local government. Um, and I just, that's another thing that I've worked on. The previous, my predecessors very rarely had anybody serving on all these boards, authorities, and commissions that exist within the city. And you have those opportunities. You know, so many seats are allowed for each district, and, and, they, and they allow the city councilors for all, there's nine council districts in Tulsa, and they allow those, not, those nine elected officials to, to recommend people to serve. Um, and, and my predecessor did not. He just, it was just something he just didn't feel was important. But then you wonder why the, you don't have a voice. You wonder why the community feels like they are ignored and that they're forgotten. And it's because, you know, that's an important part of the role of a city to city councilor is that you engage and you make sure your community's voice is being heard through these boards, authorities, and commissions that exist within the city's infrastructure. And so I've made it a point to make sure uh, that, that there are people living in District 1 represent are represented on these commissions. Now, it's still a fight because when you start talking about the authorities, which are these powerful, the most powerful uh, uh, institutions within the city, um, they are governed by predominantly, by far, older white men. And so um, we're knocking on the door. We have some, you know, uh, have, have had a little bit of success in my three years at getting some more diversity. But we got a long way to go uh, in making sure there's there's a lot more diverse representation, certainly on the more uh, powerful um, authorities within the city. You are very passionate about showing up authentically as yourself and as a representative of your district. And I'm curious if you have any advice for somebody who is interested in running for office, but is worried about, you know, negative publicity or detractors. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what would you tell a woman who is holding that, she has that holding her back from running? Oh, wow. Um, know that you've, you know, know, know that, that, that it is a calling. Hopefully, you know, this, this is something that uh, it's not being done to as a stepping stone. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to run for this because I, I ultimately want to. And I'm not saying, even saying that there's anything wrong with that. But I'm saying, but I am saying that initially, if you, it's public service, whether it's at the local level or if it's at a higher state or federal level, it's still public service. But, but you must have that, what should I call it, that passion, that true passion for being there and that is to serve the community. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've had my issues to deal with. My husband is a police officer. Um, he's been on the force uh, over 20 years. And so, you know, we're both government, local government employees, our entire professional careers. And, and um, we have a, uh, <laughs> I mentioned the FOP earlier, mm -hmm. the Fraternal Order of Police, um, which these FOPs obviously exist throughout this country. Very, very powerful political action committee. And needless to say, they hate me. <laughs> um, because we have worked, and, and, and that's, another area other than food security that I've done a lot 
a great deal of work on. Uh, you may have heard about the Terrence Crutcher shooting that took place here in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. uh, the gentleman that had his hands up and was shot um, and killed uh, working with the, and that was here in my community, working with that community and the family. Um, and and so that OP, the, the police, the law enforcement community period, um, is not very happy about that, especially given the fact that I'm married to a police officer. So they came out uh, very publicly uh, against me. Um, they even put out a video that they didn't expect to the community, the, the regular citizens to, to, to ever see um, and said some pretty um, My constituents would would say that they threatened me. Um, I I'm, I I don't know that I would go that far as to say that that they threatened me, but but I see the my constituents' point and as why they why they think that. I don't think it's something that they would ever themselves probably do, but just like with the Trump effect, he says things that that he's not going to personally do. But what you do, the fear is that you empower others to, you know, people that don't have enough sense to to, to go out and, and and do certain things. And so that's the concern. Um, so it, 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 it is, it certainly got very, very heated. There's, there's very much a, a contentious relationship in the community, uh, primarily the black community, but even people other than, in other races with how the FOP operates in Tulsa uh, and certainly how, how much they were engaged in in the uh, political process and the electoral process because they said that they would they was going to get someone to get me out of office which and they did try and we all knew without saying <laughs> who that person was when I ran in this last election um, and, 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 I, and, and interestingly enough he he got very few votes, um, but I think again that's because, uh, you know, in campaigning, you know, I'm like these are the questions you guys need to be asking, and and listen to and listen to how these questions, you know, and how candidates uh, are are answering these questions. They will tell you, even if they can figure out a way not to to get money to a candidate without, you know, doing it the formal or or normal way. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's what happens. So, so be ready. Um, you're, you're not going to avoid, uh, those, you know, void issues with, with organizations or institutions in the community. Um, if you're planning to do something drastic, if you're planning to really turn a community around if you're living in a community or representing a community that needs that um, because you're going to have people come out against you there's no question about that uh, about that there are people and in institutions uh, like the FOP like even the, uh, a chamber of commerce that want to maintain the status quo things are set in such a way particularly in America where uh, the, the poor pays more uh, the rich get richer. That's that's the American way. And so, if you are looking to run for office to change that, uh, 
then you don't think you're going to get in, don't think you're going to get in there and not have to face these issues and these problems. Uh, what you better do is get ready for them um, because they're coming. But again, if you're li- if you're looking just to to sit in a seat and maintain the status quo, then no, you may not have those issues, those problems. But if 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 not, if other, if you're planning to do otherwise, then I'd say you better you better have some thick skin. You better have a plan. You better have support uh, behind you. Uh, and and there's no better support than the support of a constituency that knows that you are there for them and not for the powers that be. Um, and and just keep your, keep your nose clean. Uh, uh, engage as much as you possibly can. I inform my community of everything uh, because that that to me that's what that's what keeps you honest, right? Not to say you wouldn't be honest either way, but that's how you build that support for a community from a community that that's unbreakable. I mean, at, at, at this point. Um, because they 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 know you 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 are giving them the good the bad and the ugly you're not you're not I, when I go to a meeting for example if at all possible I take people with me um, which is something new which was something that was unique uh, to to how politics was done in my community particularly the representation for my community um, you know if, if 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 someone either the mayor or someone outside the community would come and make a proposal of some of some kind to me i would say okay well i i i'll get back with you on that i can't lend my my total support now it sounds good but i need to go and talk to my constituents you know and i have a a a group of people that i trust a group of people in the community that 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 uh, has a well-known reputation for serving the community for fighting for the community these are people that I trust and and counsel with you know so when I say okay these this is what's coming this is the decision that has been made and this has been supported by these 10 15 20 people because this is who I have had dialogue with again they are community leaders in themselves um, and then so the community is like okay yeah you know we're you're, you're not just making these decisions as if you are a <laughs> a, a dictator but rather constantly in engaging the community. Even when I've been told, well, this is confidential, and we ask that you keep it confidential, I said, okay, but if you're asking for my support, I can't. Now, I will ask these individuals that I'm going to talk with to keep this confidential, and I trust that they will, but I'm not going to make this call without engaging my community. And so, um, and I tell the community that, and they see that that is what I have done. When I'm making a presentation about something, I'll say those those individuals, please stand that you know that I have counseled with to to talk about this project or this issue, blah blah blah. And people in the community see, okay, yeah, she's she's engaging. That engagement, there's no, you can't beat that uh, that that part or that piece of engaging the community. Uh, when I go to the African American Affairs Commission, for example, when we were fighting for that and presenting that. I didn't go before the mayor at that time alone. You know, I took 12 people with me, so that the 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 these leaders, all leaders, can see that this is something that the community wants, not one individual. But I want you to see and hear from the community uh, when someone makes a presentation. I had a group 
call me a uh, week before last about a project that they want to put in a historical uh, area of our community. I knew right away what the community was going to say. Hell no, uh, based on this this project. And uh, but I still I said well, but but to this 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 uh, potential developer, I said but I tell you what, I'll schedule a meeting with some leaders in the community. It was about six or seven people that you know so that you can you can have that opportunity you know and and they did and they, he 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 got just what i thought he was going to get uh <laughs> i think I, know my, I think i know my community well enough uh to know what they would what they will say but you know i i, I i'm uh this what i tell people is i'll meet with anyone i'll listen i'll hear i'll talk to anyone i can't promise you my support but i'll but but i can promise you that you will have my ear uh, and I'll ask questions, and we'll and we'll discuss whatever your plan or your project is. And so I try and I try to stay true to that. But at the same time, at the same, you know, I don't make decisions, particularly potential decisions that can that can really have an impact, negative or positive, on my community without engaging them. And 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 there's been things that I thought, you know, smaller decisions, but I, there's been things that I thought were were a good idea that the community didn't care for and I'm like but I'm going okay so I'm going to serve well my, I'm going to stand on the, the decision that my community or the position that my, my community had and yeah I guess back to your point I mean just be ready for it don't think it's going to be a nice ride unless you are running for a seat that don't have any issues you, you you're in one of those communities that you know you don't have to address food insecurity you don't have to address issues of transportation and access to jobs that you don't have to uh, be concerned about public safety uh in in your communities uh, uh you don't have to be concerned with economic development it's flourishing in your community you know it's not a lot of them out there but there are they are out there uh, and if you don't have any work to do then yeah you can probably run for that seat and, and be satisfied and, and just maintain the status quo. But if you're running for more, uh, uh, for a district or in a community that, that that where that community statistics like mine overwhelmingly has a distrust of law enforcement, right? Uh, where where there there uh, there are no stores in a community where you can access healthy foods and you know these types of things, then you can you can get ready for a fight. Uh, the regional chamber, the business interests in this community came out against me when I said I want a moratorium on discount dollar stores because they felt that that was anti-business. Um, and I say it constantly and continue to say to this day, I am not anti-business. Obviously, we need business. We need more businesses. We need more jobs, livable wage jobs in my community. But what we don't need is a proliferation of these discount dollar stores who pay minimum wage you've already given amazing advice and I you know thank you so much for your time today because this has really just been so valuable um what is you know one piece of advice if you know after listening to this and uh some of the other women who we've interviewed in city council positions a woman listening to this decides that she wants to decide to run for uh city council what is one piece of advice that you would give her? Hmm. Well, for me, for Vanessa Hall Harper, uh, I, I am a woman of faith. 
and there's nothing there's there's no way that I could have done this uh and 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 maintain um my sanity <laughs> uh, without having a relationship with the Lord. And so, I mean, that's that. And I get and understand that everybody, that's not for everybody. So whatever that is for you, for me, it's, it's, it's my relationship with the Lord. But whatever that is, you have, it has to, you need to have some type of um, spiritual connection that's going to carry you uh beyond just what what society or what the world has has in store for you because um, that could be some good things or some bad things but um what keeps me steady is my faith i can relate to that so much um and and really have a lot of respect for just for your vulnerability, you know, throughout this whole conversation. And I know that um, your story and the issues that you're passionate about and really giving voice to are ones that many women in our network share these same concerns. And so it's really amazing to just be able to have taken this time today to talk to you and I think that you will really, um, you know, just give a really good example of what kinds of, what kind of impact you can have. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Women, Food, and Agriculture Network's Plate to Politics podcast. Our theme music is by Expendable Friend, and the song is Song for Remen. Thank you to our sponsor, Rachel's Network, for making this audio leadership training program available to the women in our network. We hope you'll tune in next time. And until then, please go to wfan.org slash plate2politics for more resources.